Amen. Thank you, Shane. Appreciate that uh, act of worship this morning and for leading us in our opening song. It's good to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord where the presence of God is promised to his people. So we know that we are in the presence of God if we believe God's word this morning, which I do. Um, We're going to be in Psalm 147 this morning, but before I dive into the sermon, I want to kind of jump ahead of our order of service and offer a praise because the person that would offer this praise will has to leave a little early. And so uh, I'm just going to go ahead and jump the gun and offer this praise to God. I think it's something that you'll be excited about. And this particular person, of course, the praise goes to God, but this particular person was just too shy to come up here and do this herself. But um, Erica Thornton, uh, she's all red faced sitting in the back right now. Erica Thornton gave her life to Christ, I believe it was last Friday. So, Who says? I said. (laughs) Because God said. I am so excited I can hardly stand myself because the Lord has been showing off all week long. The Castle family's in a home. They've been given, they have been given stuff. Stuff doesn't necessarily matter, but people have sacrificed their own families, their own dollars and cents but that family is no longer living in a motel now that is something to get excited about and so as you listen to my preacher right here my pastor that we all love you let god's spirit just overflow you and fill you with his goodness as he is showing you miracles still happen so we have a lot to be grateful for Uh, God is very much alive, working in people's lives and drawing people to himself. And he drew Erica to himself. We know he's working in the Castle family as well. So to praise and glory be to God this morning and talk about praise. That's really what our sermon is about. As you know, for our communion Sunday series, we are looking at the Psalms and I've entitled it God tunes because that's what Psalms are. Psalms are not just words. Um, We do have letters and we have historical accounts. We have poetry in the Bible. Psalms were specifically written with the idea that they would be accompanied with an instrument and song. And so these literally are God tunes that we're talking about. And the Psalms kind of go all over the place with different topics, but they do have an overall theme, and that is of worshiping and praising God. That's why they're called Psalms, which literally literally means praise Psalms. So we can always find that in common when we read a Psalm. So this morning we're going to look at this, this particular Psalm, and I found it pretty amazing when you think about Psalms, and I'm sure many of you have read many, many Psalms, maybe just to a whole psalm or a chapter or verse here and there. And there's a sense in which you kind of know what you're going to find and they can be a little redundant. You think, well, I know what the psalms are all about. But I've been amazed as I have looked into these and meditated it and just stopped for a while at the psalms, even though much of the information or the topic is the same about worship. 
it, it gives us a different perspective and a different angle. Every time we'll walk away with more of what we need to equip us to be a, a powerful worshiper. To be a saint that knows how to glorify God. And I trust that after this morning's message, we will all have been enlightened and enhanced in our ability to do that. And since we've been talking about worship, we'll be talking about it so much this year. We came up with a working definition so that whenever I say the word worship, this will come to mind. We know what we're talking about. And Timothy Keller defines it as this. Worship is ascribing ultimate value to an object and engaging your whole being as you do it. So your mind, your will, your emotions, all of you are to be engaged when we come before God, not just bits and pieces or parts. And it, and it, it involves value. It involves looking at that object of worship with, as of great worth. And I think another helpful definition that we read last week from John Piper is worshiping Jesus means joyfully ascribing authority and dignity to Christ with sacrificial gifts. So these are the terms we want to keep in mind when we're talking about worship. We're talking about something of great worth, something of great dignity. We're talking about uh, submission. And authority. We're talking about emotions, uh, mainly joy. And we're, we're talking about sacrificial giving. There's a transaction that takes place when we worship, and that is we are giving something that's valuable to us to uh, personally to an object that is more valuable, that's worthy of our sacrifice. So all of that goes into this idea of worship. This morning, we're going to learn a little bit more in Psalm 147, and it really talks about a call to worship. So that's where we'll camp this morning. I'm going to read it in its entirety. So we will look at the 20 verses in Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. 
He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Well, this psalm is an excellent psalm to remind us or to teach us about um, worship. And this is a call to worship. But it also teaches us that worship is a calling of life. So it's going to show us what that looks like and what that means and describe that for us. We're also going to look at how worship involves uh, just gazing upon the beauty of God this morning. And that's something that we all I know I need to be reminded of that aspect of worship as well. And we'll get there shortly. But first, I want to just look at verse one. And this is a call to worship. And the call he begins, the psalmist begins by saying, praise the Lord. So it is a time where people are to come together and put their focus on God and praise the Lord. Reminding us that worship is more than a one-time event. It also closes with the same words, praise the Lord. So you can begin with a worship time and when you end, we leave here still in an attitude of worship. So this is a summons to worship. It's an invitation, but this is actually a command as well. It's a a declaration by God for his people to praise him. Now, in our text, in the English, at least in mine, it's three words. Praise the Lord. In the Hebrew, it's actually just one word. And it's the word that we have heard many, many times. If you're a Christian, a lot of times Christians say it all the time. And it's hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what it means is praise, praise the Lord. So when somebody comes to you and says, hallelujah, brother, then you can start singing a song because he's asking you to praise the Lord. But there are two parts to this word that I want to look at. You have the first part, which is halal in the Hebrew. And that is that root word basically means to boast. It means to, to, to revel and to glory in, to, to be proud of, to, to take your boast in it. And one of the lines that we sang this morning had said something to the effect of, My boast is in the Lord. Worshiping God has to do with boasting. Matter of fact, in a lot of Psalms, maybe this will uh, ring ring a bell for you or remind you of something. But a lot of the songs, Psalms say this. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. You read that time after time because that is a part of what it means to come before the Lord. It's making much of him. It's boasting. You're employing your mind to think these kind of thoughts towards God that make much of him. The second part of the word basically stands for the name Yahweh. That's why our interpretation is praise the Lord. Boast in what? We're boasting in the Lord. And it's Yahweh. And we're familiar with the name Elohim, which is kind of more of a generic name for God. It's, it's what others would call God or maybe what we might call God because he is the one and only true God who's up there. He's all powerful. He's, he's just He's omnipotent. Yahweh is the name that God gave Moses during that episode with the burning bush. 
It's more of a personal name. It's his covenant name. It's kind of reserved more for his people, those whom he will redeem, those who have looked to him as their savior. So it's a call to boast in the Lord. It's a call to God's people. Of course, it's out to all peoples that they would praise the Lord. But we are praising the God that we know. The God that has called us into a saving relationship. The name for those that know him in that way. So just being called to worship. It's a reminder that what worship involves is boasting in God. That, that's whether we do it out loud, whether we allow the, the lyrics of the songs to do that for us, what we, whether we do it in our mind when we're talking to God as we worship. It pertains to making much of him and boasting in him. And we're always thinking about something, something always human nature is something almost always has captured our soul. And, and we want to talk about it a lot. We're captivated with it. Might be a career, might be a new relationship, might be all the money we have or we don't have. There's, there's, there's things that we are captivated with and our soul wants to talk about them all the time because uh, we, we glory in them. We revel in them. This is a reminder. Yeah, there are, there are great things to be found in the world. But what our hearts need to be thinking about, our souls need to be giving themselves to right now is all the wonderful Marvelous things that God is and that God is about. So just the, the, the call to worship beckons us back to thinking God thoughts and kind of away from the world. It calls us to find our worth in Christ, not the things of this world. Just this psalm reminds us how incredible God is. I mean, he hears the ravens cry. How many of us pay attention to, to all the beasts of the field and what their needs are? Unless you're a farmer and you need to make your living off that livestock. Most of us don't pay attention to this. And yet God is the kind of guy that is, he, he doesn't just speak it into creation, but he is attentive. Incredibly attentive to his creation. Moving waters where they need to be. Sending winds. To do that, we, we got a little bit of the, uh, the hurricane and all the, the news from that this weekend. If you watch the news, God's in charge of these things. He's attentive to his creation. And he, if he hears the cry of a raven that's hungry, there's nobody there to take care of him but God. How much more so does he hear the cry of our hearts? So the psalmist is saying, oh, Israel, oh, Zion. Remember your God. Come before your God. Praise your God. He knows your heart. Now, there are a lot of wise people in here. There are a lot of mature Christians. I don't know what, maybe a hundred of us in here this morning. And we, we know a lot of things about God in the Bible and maybe even each other. But we don't know what's going on in each other's hearts. If you took all of the cumulative wisdom that's in here this morning, we would miss out. Well, many, many things, multitudes of things that are going on in each individual soul. And yet God knows every one. He knows every cry. He knows every need, every desire. And he is already working his great power 
to care for us in a way that we need to be cared of. And so when we just stop and think, stop thinking about the way the world works, and it does, it has a system, and just think about God and his greatness and how he's so sovereign and he's, he's overall, well, then we'll have lots of reason to praise him. Because we realize that all things come from him. We make our boast in the Lord. A great verse that you may be familiar with is Jeremiah 29.3. Some of you may know it by heart. It's just another reminder of what it means to be called to worship. Thus says the Lord, and this is God speaking. It's a declaration. So if you want to hear the pure word of God this morning, so that you, you can leave here saying, well, God spoke to me this morning through his revelation. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his wealth. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands me, that he knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love. Justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Isn't that interesting? All the things that our souls want to attach themselves, all the things that we want to glory in, riches and strength and accomplishments and great wisdom, that doesn't impress God when it comes to us. It's it's. What impresses him is when he looks down at our hearts and he sees humility. And he sees hearts that know him. And they know how he works and they understand how he works. That faith, that simple faith and trust and knowledge of the one and only true God delights him, pleases him. And that's what hallelujah means. It's a command. It's a call to worship. Why would we, why would God command us to worship? The command is not necessarily something voluntary, like the Ten Commandments aren't ten wishes. But they are commandments. And praising the Lord is a commandment. Why would God give us that command? Well, it has something to do, just to kind of introduce it. When you go to um, look for clothes or apparel, you go to a clothing store... And every clothing store has um, what place for you to uh, huh dressing room what a, a changing room they also uh, most of the times it's called a fitting room because you see things and they're all on the rack and they look really great but what you want to know is do they look that great on this body. They look that great on this rack. So you take them from that rack and you put them on this rack and you say, okay. And you go into the fitting room and there are lots of mirrors from every different angle. So you have every opportunity to decide, does this fit me like I want it to fit me? Does it do for me what I want it to do for me? And it's a fitting room and it's a very useful and good thing. Um, And based on all of the clothes that are on the rack to be returned, it's a good thing we have fitting rooms because it turns out that most of the things that people try on, they never make it into the shopping bag. 
they are returned. So they're not quite as fitting to them as they would have liked. Maybe it's a different uh, body type, wasn't meant for your body type or your size, your shape or your color, or your tone or whatever it is. The psalmist says in verse 1 that we're called to praise God because it's good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant. So why is it good and why is it pleasant? A song of praise is fitting. He's saying that when we adore God from our hearts and our souls, when we boast in Him, it it fits Him. It fits Him. It's a perfect fit. Because out of all the things that we could boast about or glory in or think deeply about in our lives, all the things that we can observe, the, the highest, greatest praise, boasting, and glory fits only God and God alone. He deserves our very, very best. So it absolutely fits God to hear constantly from His creatures how worthy He is. He wears it well. And He wears it better than anybody else. The word fit, by the way, it also fits us, and we'll look at that this morning as well. It fits us. But the word fit, this is where it begins to get very interesting. My translation says fit. Perhaps your translation says comely or seemly or beautiful. The word fit means beautiful. So it, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, it describes, this word describes a very comely or beautiful face. That's how well it fits. That's, that's what that word means. We find it in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14, where it gets a little gushy. Oh, my dove. That's how we all talk to our sweethearts, right? Oh, my dove. In the clefts of the rock... In the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. That's the word here. Praise. It's, it's comely. It fits him. It's absolutely. God is absolutely lovely and beautiful. And so it makes perfect sense for us to gaze at him, to desire him. To want to boast in Him. So a song of praise is for those that find God gloriously beautiful. For those that want to be in the presence of not, not just His power, but as the essence of His beauty. And, and there's a sense here. I think from this psalm that we learn, if we're not finding God beautiful, there's a sense in which we're not worshiping Him as fittingly, I guess, as we could be. Because this is part of his being, part of his essence. Is who he is. He's beautiful. Most of the time, we, we find God useful more than we find God beautiful. What do you mean by that? It's, I confess it's true in my life. I find God more useful than I find him beautiful. I struggle with this. This part in this psalm has meant a lot to me. Finding God useful. In other words, um, we know that we need God. And life 
God created the world to work in a certain way. There's a grain to it. There's a pattern to it. And if you, like we learned in Proverbs, if you follow the ways of God, there are blessings built into it. There are blessings built into our relationship with God. If we, if we do things right, if we live right, we are more apt. There are no guarantees, but we're more apt to live and get the things that we want in life. So God is useful to us in that way. And we want to make sure we're living rightly. I mean, uh, when, it, when we, 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 we want a wife, we want a family, we want peace in the home. We know we have to be dependent on God to get these things. These are things we want dearly. We want to, the jobs that we want. So we want to enjoy our work. Uh, we don't want to have to worry about calamity and disaster if we can help it. And we know that the way life works to, to an extent... That if we live a certain way, the blessings that are built into creation, we can reap those. And so God's useful to us in that way. And we want to try to keep our lives right. We believe in him as 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 much as we can. And we come and we want to praise him and we, we love him for these things. But part of that is because of its usefulness to us. And there's nothing wrong with that in that sense. I mean, there is a practical, pragmatic sense to Christianity. It works. God's spirit transforms our lives. You give your life to him. It'll never be the same again. And so we depend on God in this way for things. But the point is, that's not all there is to God. There's this other side to him, this this just being side, this beautiful side that also fits him. That we also need to learn to be in the presence of or to recognize. Because worship is more than finding God useful. We want to find God beautiful and the difference is the comeliness. So do we see God? Do we know God and understand God and see God as so enjoyable and beautiful that just being in his presence is a joyful experience. It's, it's, a, it's an end into itself. It's a blessing that we need with, without anything else going on, just merely being in the presence of God because He's such a wonderful person, loving person. Without all the work involved, the usefulness, without all the striving. I think that's what the psalmist is here. We're happy in life. Life is good. Why? Because God's beautiful. He's just, he just is. He's awesome. He's wonderful. He's beautiful. He's glorious. And I make my boast in Him. And, I, and, and I, I would run out of paper if I would give myself the time to think and slow down on all these other things that distract me. I could just go on and on and on praising God for all that He has done in my life and in others' lives and in the world. So it's not fitting completely for us to just see him as useful. It's not, it's not just who he is. He's, yes, he's capable, he's powerful, he makes things happen. But he's to be enjoyed because of his glorious beauty. He's exquisite, he's captivating, he's intriguing in and of himself. Humans receive pleasure to their souls when they behold beauty. It's a fact. We have art museums. Uh, the world reflects that that is true. Just when we see things that are beautiful to us, and it could be different from, 
for each person. Art museums, I'll go there for Lisa's sake. That's about it. But uh, there are other things that absolutely captivate me that I think, man, I, I just can't believe what I'm seeing. It has an effect on our hearts and our souls. It, do, it adjusts something in there. It does something to us. Beautifully breathtaking things. And so a lot of times uh, we spend thousands of dollars on beholding beautifully breathtaking things. One thing we do as a culture is vacations whenever possible. <clears throat> we take vacations. And the idea is to get away. We need rest. We need relaxation. And it does the body good. It does the soul good. But notice the places that we don't just most of the time we don't just go to a place to have fun. We go to a place that's beautiful to us. Think about it. The beach, the lake, the mountains. These are the popular places, tourist spots. The popular tourist spots are beautiful because you can go there and just sitting on the beach doing nothing it's like, ah, oh, this is so great. How can it be so enjoyable and pleasing if you're not even doing anything? It's because you're just, you're just looking, watching. You're seeing the, the way the sun sparkles on the ocean. That's as far as you can see. You marvel in how the ships can make their way through it. You, you see the artwork of God at, with the currents and then the waves. It just splash and then splash and splash. They take on different shapes. You just... You're just uh, taken with it. Or you head for the mountains where you can get high up and you can get a new perspective on the landscape of the earth. Where you see all the different hues and colors. And then you see the mountains and maybe if you're up high enough you can see foothills where things level out. And vegetation from man, vegetation from God. Uh, the blue skies, the, these things have an effect on us. That's why we go to them. We flock to them. We pay good money for that feeling, for that sight. And most of the time, it's not a fix-all, but most of the time, if we let it, it adjusts our souls. And it helps us have a proper perspective. The beauty ministers to the soul because it was meant to. We were designed to be captivated and to find a rest and enjoyment and beauty, ultimately because God is so beautiful. And even all these things, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. These things that we see in creation, these beauties, are ultimately to point us to the source of all beauty. And that is beautiful God, our beautiful Savior, our, our glorious Lord. It's good to get away from our routines. It's, it's a needed thing. Even our good routines. Sometimes good routines, in order to get a perspective, a proper perspective, we need to step away from. It might be a day, an hour, a vacation, whatever, if we can afford the time or the money. But we all know that it's good because it changes our perspective. And that's what beauty does. It changes our perspective just a certain sight, a sunset. I've, I've heard lots of people in this church talk about, did you see the sunset or the sunrise? Wasn't it nice? Just that little event did something to the heart or to, to the soul. So sometimes we develop a, a good working relationship with God. We know enough about God to know how he operates. We know how much time it takes for our 
souls to spend with him, to feel right. Uh, We're busy. We we love ministry and and we want to stay busy with this working relationship. Um, We work well. God and I work well together because we know each other and and um, we, we have that in common. Just like in real life, we have working relationships. Some of the best friendships I've had have been working relationships. Because we both have the same goal. We talk about work. How can we do this better? How can we make it more enjoyable? How can we make more money at it? You know, how can we get more help? And we want to constantly be improving. And so we're brainstorming. We're having meetings about these things. And and because you have that in common, um, you, you have this really good working relationship. But when it's not time to work, you go home, you don't spend that much time together. And a lot of these relationships I have had when the job ends, when one of us moves on, eventually that relationship ends. It was a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it. It was just a good, strong working relationship because that's what we it was centered around how that work affects us. It's primarily based on the work and not the people. We don't pursue each other. Outside of work. And sometimes we develop that kind of relationship with God if we're not careful. We know we need God for ministry. And we want to be busy. This is a very busy congregation. I'm sure you've found that out. Many, many of you have ministries in the church and outside of the church. We've always been very big on ministry. And you have poured your hearts out and you've given your lives to the work of the ministry, which is an awesome thing to do. We understand our duties. We want to perform them with vigor. We want to get with God and and do this together. And it's enjoyable. But when that ministry or that work stops, we've poured ourselves into it. Sometimes we don't know what to do anymore. It's like, now what? Almost like the empty nest syndrome. I poured myself so much into this ministry. I'm not even sure what to do with God anymore. What, What does the relationship with God look like now? Because of the, the personableness that just being in his presence and doing nothing was all about the ministry, all about the work. Just being in his presence and learning how to enjoy him for the beautiful person that he is. It, it lacked. We don't know where to go. When we, start, when we spend time with people that we love, we do it not because we have to. Because we want to. And then we get together and what do we talk about? Whatever. Doesn't matter. We talk about each other's lives. And we don't so much talk about the work as how it's affecting you. How's your job going? How's it affecting you? Not how can we produce more of these things. Uh, you're working hard. It's where I'm at. You, you, you learn about each other because you care about each other. It's personable. You, you can move on from the conversation anytime you want and start talking about something else. It's all because you just you care about each other. And usually through the course of, a compl- of the conversation, compliments will be given. And you, you're sharing how much I appreciate about you or that's you, you look so cute when you're angry. And, you know, these kind of things come out. It's just it's a relationship there. You're just enjoying one another's company. There's no time limit to it. You just you flow in and out of it. And you're just letting each other know that, well, in one way or another, in your own way, I, I care about you. And the praises may 
often be given. And and you walk away and you're just full in your soul because you spent time with that person. Is God primarily useful or beautiful to us? Here's a good way to find out. It's a convicting way to find out, actually. When you spend time in prayer, say individually or we as a congregation. How much time do we spend on working prayers, petitions? You know, I need this to do this, God, and I need this to do this, and I need this to glorify you, and I need... As opposed to just adoration. How much time in our devotion do we spend boasting in the Lord just for who He is, all His wonderful characteristics, as opposed to the useful things? God, you know what I need in my life. I'm facing this crisis, and the bills are due, and this relationship isn't right. We, we need, we desperately need to get to that point where God's beautiful to us like that. Where whether things happen or not, whether we get these needs met at that moment or not, we're content, we're happy because we're just in the presence of this beautiful God that's so good to us. And, and at that moment, we, life is good because we have everything we need. We have Christ in whom we can boast we can adore him no matter what's going on around us and so it's fitting for us to give god that praise he wears it well he alone is deserving of all our praise it also fits us in that we were created to be uh, to creatures that marvel in other things to find their greatness in other things we're always talking about other things we want to be associated with greatness If you have a famous relative, you're going to let people know it because you want to to look big and you want to boast about you want to glory in these things. We need to do that. Uh, Something you've heard many times from this pulpit from St. Augustine. He says, thou hast formed us for thyself and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. We need God in this way. We we need something greater than us. We need something bigger, something that we can glory in. And, of course, the idea is that we can glory in these things of the world. But eventually, we're not going to find our place of rest until we find that God is our place of glory. God is the thing that we can boast about in our lives. And he's personable to us. Because by nature, as Martin Luther says, our nature kind of curves back into itself. And we wind up being self-centered. And life becomes all about us and how everything affects us. And we begin to take everything personal. Why could you send this hurricane? I didn't need I had I had a fun day planned today and all it did was rain. We take everything personal and we get anxious and twisted up inside. And that's how we stay. And what do we need to break out of that? We need to see something bigger than ourselves. We need to see that life is bigger, that God is bigger. And that outside of our own little miserable lives, there are multitudes of wonderful, gracious, good things happening. It's more than just about us. So it's fitting for us to be able to see how God is and marvelous. We, we need that for the healthiness of our uh, souls. I've been challenged before in the pulpit about preaching more about immediate needs. How can you talk about praising God and the beauty of God when marriages are falling apart and families are falling apart? And those are real things and they're hurt and they're painful and we deal with those. 
But but those are immediate needs that we deal with in our own little lives. And I think by pointing to God, by gazing to God and not staying down here in this, but opening our hearts and our minds to the vastness of God and the goodness of God is what we need to heal the things that are down that we're dealing with right now. All the little life pains. We need to see how big God is. We can't just stay in our own little world. We can't just talk about our problems and our, our, our families that are failing. We have to get around to studying God and knowing God and seeing God as beautiful. That's what wakes us up many times out of our own little issues and the own, own little kingdom that we created for ourselves. So we need to praise. It's fitting for us to do that. So how do we make this transition? And I'll close with this. Verse 10 says, his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. I got a kick out of a Peter Craigie. If you've read commentaries, you've probably heard of his name, but he's a Scottish commentator. And he remembers when he read that psalm at 10 years old, Scottish, he wore a kilt. And he reads that the Lord doesn't pleasure in the legs of man. And he struggled because he's like, should I not wear this kilt anymore? But then he says, be relieved, Scottish men. That's not what the text is talking about. He says it's, it's about really it's about how you look at strength. And I quote him in ancient times, there was nothing more thrilling than to see your own country's army. To see rank upon rank of men in their armor, muscles on their arms, muscles in their legs, bulging, the sun on their spear tips and on their swords and on their helms, their chariots and their horses, strong horses built for battle. You would look at your army and you would say, ha, now everybody's going to have to kneel down before us. Everyone's going to have to respect us. Look at our strength. The whole point of this psalm is God does not respond to human strength in that way. It's not impressive to him. Things that we just cling to and feel so safe to be around and marvel in. He doesn't delight in the human strength. He doesn't delight in the muscles. He doesn't delight in the morality that humans can accomplish. How good they can become on their own terms. He delights in the humility that he would see. I must decrease that you may increase. He delights in the fear, meaning just the sheer reverence and honor that we give to God in our hearts. He, He delights in that. And he delights in those that are just not dependent in these other things, but those that throw themselves on him and are completely dependent on him because they know ultimately he's the source of all strength. Why go second hand? And those who hope in his unfailing or my text says steadfast love, that's that covenant word. Uh, Kesed. It's the covenant word for love. That's what he takes delight in when he looks at us. Those that are trusting in the covenant that he made with us. Because he made it. Not because 
we can keep it. It's not based on our own strength. Look what I did, God, and look how much progress I've made and look how strong I am in this area. I've built this army around me. That's not what impresses him. Because that's about us. And all these things will fail. Our muscles will fail. Our armies will fail. Our morality will fail. Our resolve will fail. And this covenant love is based on God's actions. It's based on God's grace. So the call to worship, it's taking our mind off the things we've, we've trusted in. And, we, and we're realizing, you know what? The thing I need to be thinking about and, and worshiping about right now is what, who God is and what he's done. Because it's all come from him. It's because of his faithfulness. It's because he's never failed. Philip Keller, um, Timothy Keller says, when you transfer the hope of your heart from your works, your effort, your performance, human strength to his grace, that's what turns him from a business associate into a lover. Hebrews 13, 5, we read these words from God. I will never leave you or never forsake you. How comforting is that? How many times have we said that to ourselves? God says, I will never leave you. And actually, it's, it's more emphatic in the Greek. It's a double negative. He's, he's very emphatic. He's saying, I will never, ever detach myself from you. I will never, ever, ever forsake you. It's not going to happen. And that's God's covenant pledge to us. So that's what we can marvel in. That, that's what we trust in. And only God can say that and keep it. I always get messed up inside when I'm watching a movie and, and uh, you know, the dad's about to go off to war or battle or some, face some kind of danger. And the kids are all there and they're crying and they're hugging his leg. You know, they don't want him to go and they know it's a dangerous situation. And he, and he has to do something to let them know everything's going to be all right. And a lot of times... Uh, same scene happens in different movies. He kneels down and they'll look him, grab him in the face and look at him. They'll say, don't you worry. I'll be back. I promise. I think to myself, you just ruined the movie. You can't go off to that kind of danger and promise your kids I'll be back like I'm impenetrable and I'm immortal. You can't do that. You ruin the whole movie. Be truthful with your kids. I'll do my best to be or God will care for you or whatever. Be honest. You can't. Only in Hollywood. But only God can say these words and mean them. You understand that? Only God can actually give this promise. And, and no matter what this earth faces, our world, our little worlds, He will stay true. He will absolutely never leave us ever. Ever. He makes it and only He can keep it. And that's what He likes to see when we believe that in our worship and just throw ourselves and our lives and everything we're about into his arms and, and let his grace keep us afloat. Let his grace be the source of our joy and our praise. So it's a call to worship and it's not just the beckon to praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But it's a call to a life of worship, to a life of praise. To a life of adoration in the beauty of God. 
And now we get to spend some time fitting God with the praise that he deserves. And then communing with God at the Lord's table. So may God bless the preaching of his word.